Hi guys! So good to be able to preach at this next-gen service for the first time. I'm Pastor Peter, and I'm one of the regional pastors in the adult congregation. It's been great leading the adult GMGs, our small groups in Region A, but I do miss being in Nexus. I've seen all the cool things you guys have been doing. Slick worship sets, cool announcements, funny skits. Excellent, man. Keep it up. So today, we are on the fourth and final part of the series, Meant to Be. You went through the sermons on singlehood, dating, and courting. Naturally, the next stage is marriage. The title of today's message is, Meant to be Married. And the big idea of today's message is marriage is God's beautiful design and thus worth fighting for. Now, how many of you have ever fantasized about your ideal wedding? If you have, press the heart button on the screen right now. Be honest about it. I know many of you have. Oh, how I remember the time I was in courtship, leading to engagement, and then up to the wedding. It was sweet, exciting, romantic, passionate, fun. You know, the feeling of being in love, looking forward to living together, with no more physical restrictions. Yeah. It was going to be like a perpetual stay in a chalet or in a camp. We had our wedding on National Day of 2007. So we just celebrated our 13th anniversary. Glory to God. We had 300 people witness our solemnization. We had quite a grand banquet at Swiss Hotel, the Stanford and even had fireworks that night. Cool, isn't it? Now, weddings are meant to mark the start of a beautiful journey between a husband and a wife. That journey is called marriage. Now, you may be thinking, I'm only 15 years old. Why do I need to learn about marriage? Or for some of you young adults who are not even attached, marriage seems like a very distant thing. There may be even some of you who feel that you never want to get married. Let me tell you why you need to listen to this message. Statistics show that 70% of all Singapore residents 15 years and over have been married before. So 7 out of 10 of you actually will get married sometime. The tips I'm about to share will be helpful to you, I assure you that. Most of you know at least one married couple in your life, right? Your parents. You have seen how these married couples interact with each other. Whether it's a positive or negative example, today's message can help you understand why it succeeded or why it failed. Then you can pray for them, right? You can also learn from their marriage. Perhaps you can even help your parents better relate to each other. Now, another reason is that marriage is severely attacked in this postmodern world. The concept of one man and one woman in a marriage has never been so strongly challenged in history. Some now subscribe to cohabitation instead. Some are disillusioned about marriage because of the high rates of divorce and the pain they have seen their parents or their friends going through. So, it is crucial that you understand more about this divine institution that God has designed and why the enemy tries so hard to destroy it. Now let's look at what the Bible says about marriage first. 
The first thing that the Bible says is that marriage is sacred. It was designed by God to meet the needs of men and women and for procreation. Genesis 2, 23-24 says, At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Genesis 1.28 also says, Be fruitful and multiply. Now, it's a very unique relationship between a man and a woman. and It's very clearly defined. One man, one woman. Very clear. And it is especially ordained by God. And it's also the only way we are to start new families, leaving our parents and uniting as one to start a new unit. There has to be a clean break from the old family unit to form a new family, recognized by God and by the law. So, cohabitation is a poor substitute for marriage. There's no commitment, there's no stable environment for children to grow up in, and almost certain to succumb to sexual temptations, thus committing fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. So therefore, this marriage union must be regarded as sacred and holy. The second thing that the Bible says about marriage is that marriage is symbolic. Ephesians 5.31-32 says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. It's similar to what we read earlier. But Paul continues, verse 32, This is a great mystery but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. God chose marriage to illustrate to the world what the relationship between Christ and the church looks like. The intimacy between husband and wife is a picture of the deep intimacy between Christ and the church. Christ's sacrifice to redeem humanity also is to be reflected in the way of husbands ought to give themselves for their wives. So, marriage is not for you to just live happily ever after. Rather, marriages are designed to point the world to Christ. It's much bigger than yourselves. No wonder the devil tries always and means to destroy marriages. And the third thing the Bible says about marriage is that marriage is prophetic. Prophetic. There is a wedding the grandest wedding of all time at the end of the age. It marks the eternal and perfect union between the people of God and God Himself. It's beautiful. Look at this. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honour to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and His bride, has prepared herself. Therefore, marriages prophetically declare the consummation or the completion of God's redemptive plan for humanity. Marriage declares God's plan to save the world and reconcile mankind to Himself will be accomplished. Isn't that awesome? And so, 
for those looking forward to marriage, it is a beautiful thing. But the reality is that it's relatively easy to get married, not so easy to stay married. Straits Times recently featured this article. It says that significantly fewer couples tied the knot last year, while the number of those ending their marriages was the highest in at least 20 years. So if this continues, it means 30% of all marriages in Singapore end in divorce. What about for Christians? What do you think is the proportion of divorces among Christians versus that of non-Christians? Why don't we do something fun and have a poll right now? If you think the proportion of marriages between born-again Christians ending in divorce is the same as the general population, type SAME, S-A-M-E, in the chat box. If you think it's different, type DIFFERENT. I want to give you a few seconds to do that right now. Again, if you think that the number of divorces, the proportion of divorces among Christians is the same as that for non-Christians, type SAME. If you think otherwise, type DIFFERENT. It used to be said that those who identified as Christian were just as likely as non-Christians to be divorced. They were just as likely, so it's the same. But that's because many of those interviewed only called themselves Christians because they did not really commit to the Christian lifestyle. More recent research shows that actually active churchgoers are 27 to 50% less likely to get a divorce. Now you can read the book, The Good News About Marriage, for more details on that. So the statistics tell us that simply confessing Christianity as your religion doesn't make a difference in your marriage at all. But being a committed follower of Christ significantly lowers the chances of divorce. And that makes complete sense to me. But I'll be very honest with you, this journey of marriage is an uphill battle. You're swimming against the tide of modern culture and immorality. You've probably heard stories of how your friends struggled because their parents are going through divorce, or you yourself, you are the ones suffering from that fate. But don't let that cause you to be disillusioned about marriage. Don't let it disillusion you. Instead, equip yourself so that you can build a strong marriage that shines brilliantly in this darkness. A strong marriage is life-giving, not only biologically, but your children will have all they need to thrive. Their individual lives are greatly enriched, and your example will inspire many all around you. It's possible, and the rewards are amazing. Now, you have seen the beauty of marriage, and I want to assure you that it's a battle worth fighting. So marriage is God's beautiful design, and thus worth fighting for. Someone wise once told me many years ago, marriage is like a garden. You need to tend it, care for it, work on it. Then you will see it blossom and bearing fruit. If you let the weeds grow, you forget to water it, you ignore the conditions of the soil, the garden will be a mess. So to have a blooming garden, you need the right conditions. Fertile soil, water and sweat. In line with this analogy, 
I'll share with you the three keys that correspond to these conditions that cause the garden to flourish. They deal with your values, your attitude, and your action. The first condition the garden needs is fertile soil. The soil holds the roots of every plant and the nutrients within bring forth life and growth. I'm referring to your values, those deep-seated convictions, like the plant's roots, that govern how you live. We read earlier in Ephesians 5.31-32, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The idea of two becoming one means that they are not to be separated, right? God forbid that Christ be separated from the church. Jesus elaborated on this when he commanded in Matthew 19 verse 6, Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. To cultivate a flourishing marriage, both parties must enter marriage absolutely determined to make it work. But both must hold the conviction that marriage is for life. It's a one-way ticket and there is that unwavering resolve that only death will separate you. Such values are essential, absolutely critical for your marriage to blossom. Otherwise, what are the vows for, right? Unfortunately, in today's culture, divorce is becoming more and more acceptable. The underlying belief is, if you're not happy, just get a divorce. If it doesn't spark joy, get rid of it. But that is not what God wants for people, and it's not the way Christians should view marriage. Divorce grieves the heart of God, leaves deep wounds in the couple, and scars their children for life. So, resolve to make your marriage work whatever the cost. You know, my wife, Jamie, and I are quite different. I never knew that until a few years into our marriage. I love the outdoors, but she prefers the indoors. I'm an owl. It means I, I, I come alive at night, but she's a morning person. I see the big picture, but she sees the details. When we go shopping, I like to just grab and go, you know. I know what I want. I go in, I grab, and I go. Jamie... She inspects every little detail in Daiso and Smigo. It drives me crazy sometimes. But to be fair, I also drive her crazy at times. When I'm supposed to check my daughter's homework, I look through it and it all looks good. But when she checks it, she finds many mistakes and some are not even completed. We are so different that we could not find something that we both loved to do together. There were periods, honestly, in our marriage where I really wondered how my needs can be met and how can it be a strong marriage. And I know of couples who are on the verge of divorce because of personality differences or no common interests. But I can honestly say that divorce is never on our minds. Never. I tell myself, by hook or by crook, we must make it work. So, we talk and we share our struggles honestly with each other. It didn't happen overnight, 
But after a while, we found some compromise. We decided to go for morning walks together weekly. At least the sun won't be too hot and she can get some exercise. So it meets my needs for the outdoors without it being too difficult for her to do. I also learned to be more attentive to details when I check my daughter's schoolwork. But the shopping still drives me crazy. The point is that we're willing to prioritize our relationship, make time, make the necessary changes, to be teachable, to do whatever it takes to strengthen the marriage. The moment one party stubbornly refuses to change or be corrected, the marriage starts going downhill. So it is critical that you enter marriage with biblical values, determined to make it work, and that you find someone who also holds such values. So think about it. What values do your parents hold regarding marriage? Will they go all out to make it work? If not, at least now you know how to pray for them, that their hearts will be changed to have that determination to make it work. And so the second condition you need for a thriving garden is water. This is the lifeblood of every plant and permeates every leaf, flower and fruit. The key here is attitude. While your values are the deep-seated beliefs you hold to, your attitude refers to the mentality in making daily decisions, your thinking patterns, and it affects everything you do. That's why I liken it to the water for your garden. Many people today get married to find happiness. I'm sure you've heard that before. I want to find happiness. Many get married to have their needs met, to start a family or because they think they have found their dream wife or husband. And they enter marriage with all these expectations. Guys expect the ladies to always maintain their slim figure, cook nice food, always be gentle and caring and so on. Ladies expect the men to always be attentive to their needs, be funny and make them laugh, provide financially and so on. But quite often, it's impossible for any human to meet all these expectations all the time. It's impossible. The problem then is that they are too focused on themselves. This kind of attitude only sets you up for failure. So what kind of attitude should we carry in marriage? Ephesians 5, 21-26 tells us. Why don't we try and read this together? Verse 21 says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Verse 25, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Paul says that wives should submit to their husbands, serve them, not expect to be served. Husbands should not just love their wives, but to give their lives for them. So the attitude we should carry into marriage is self-denial. It is life-giving water to the garden of marriage. Finding happiness, having your needs met, and starting a family are all important. We all need that. 
But the pathway to getting that is self-denial, self-sacrifice. It's counterintuitive, but it's God's way. You want to have a beautiful garden? The way to cultivate that is self-denial, crucifying the flesh daily, offering unconditional love to one who is not worthy, just as you are not worthy to receive it. Obviously, you can't do that in your own strength. You draw strength from God and allow Him to fill you up daily. And that's the only way you can love like that. And you know that this is absolutely critical for something in marriage. This comes the juicy part. It is absolutely critical for sexual intimacy. Some of you may think that once you get married, all your sexual struggles will be gone. Wrong! Did you know that many couples are complaining that their sexual needs are not met? In fact, it's one of the leading reasons for divorce. But why is that? Oftentimes, it can be traced back to the root issue of self-centeredness. I know you can't wait to experience the highs of sexual intimacy. I've been there. But if you're only aiming for your own sexual fulfillment, you will be very disappointed. But what is the key? You know, I'm not a sex guru, but I know a little from 13 years of marriage. The key is to put your spouse's sexual needs above yours. Sometimes you may not get what you want, but you deny yourself and you meet his or her need first. Obviously, it's not just about sex, right? It's the principle that applies to other areas of your relationships as well. So, even today, you can practice this by applying the attitude of self-denial in your relationships with your family members, friends, and cellmates. Try that and you will see how it nourishes your relationships like life-giving water in plants. So, do your parents exhibit sacrificial love to each other? Do they? If not, how can you model it for them at home? If they do, what practical things have they done for each other that you can learn to do? These are all things that we can learn from observing our parents' marriage. And so, so far we have covered the first condition, fertile soil, referring to your values, the conviction that you will make it work at all costs. The second condition is water, and it refers to the attitude of self-denial. The third condition that the garden needs is sweat, meaning a diligent gardener. You need a diligent gardener who is willing to put in the effort, pulling out the weeds, trimming the leaves, pruning the branches, adding fertilizer, and so on. Thus, the idea is that you need action to show your love, and that involves hard work. Ephesians 5, 28-29 and verse 33 says this, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands are to feed and care for their wives like they do for their own bodies. 
Sometimes you don't feel like it, right? But you rarely think twice about brushing your teeth or taking a bath. It takes effort, but you do it anyway. It's like a non-negotiable. So the same principle applies for wives as well. Expressing your love and affection don't happen automatically nor intuitively sometimes. You have to be intentional, diligent, and consistent about it. In your courtship or dating days, it seems effortless, right? You're in cloud nine, your heart beats faster when you see her. You have all sorts of romantic ideas to impress her. You know how to smile at him to make his heart melt. How is it that it seems gone after a few years of marriage? Because you put in the effort during courtship days, but many fail to put in the same effort after marriage. So here is the key. Keep doing what you did when you were dating on courtship. Keep doing it. You can't say you don't know how because you did it before. Those were the things you did that attracted you to each other, isn't it? So keep doing it. Keep writing those cards. Keep sending those thoughtful gifts, holding hands, praying together, whatever. Keep doing it. The garden needs your sweat to flourish. For myself, with three young kids managing work and other commitments, it's easy for me to get caught up with the busyness and to take Jamie for granted. So I got to put in extra effort to make her feel special once in a while. At least I try. I buy flowers for her occasionally. I write little cards or notes and put them in her handbag late in the night so she can read it early in the morning. For our 10th anniversary, I designed and printed a photo album with the highlights of our years together. The most recent thing I did on 10th October last year was to celebrate 4,444 days of marriage. It came as a surprise to her. I mean, who would count days, right? But that's the point. We find all reasons to celebrate each other and show that I appreciate her. I didn't spend a bomb. I just bought some flowers, a simple dinner, where I had 50% discount, by the way, <laughs> followed by shopping for a toilet bowl. Yeah, we needed a toilet bowl in our house that time. But yeah, that's how dates become after 13 years. But it serves the purpose. It made her feel appreciated. Your passion for each other as a married couple needs fuel to keep burning. It needs that fuel. Put in the effort, keep adding fuel to the flame, and you experience a thriving marriage. To apply this now, inspire your parents by sending them love notes and encourage them to do that for each other. Cook for them, give them a massage, or take over the housework for a week. Help them to see that such effort can cause their relationship to blossom again. You can make a difference in your parents' marriage. You can inspire them. So for yourself, make sure you supply your own garden in the future with the right values, right attitude, and right actions. And so, this is the final part of the sermon series meant to be. 
I believe you have understood more about singlehood, dating, courtship and marriage. If you missed any of the sermons, do check out our Grace YouTube channel. It's all there. I would like to close the series with a verse from the passage that Pastor Becky, if you remember, that she began the series with. Paul was talking about marriage and singlehood and he concludes by saying in 1 Corinthians 7.35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So whether you're meant to be single, dating, courting or married, give your undivided devotion to God. The rest is secondary. God must be our greatest pursuit. If you have that as your anchor, you are on the right track. And so I can't stress enough that marriage is sacred. It is symbolic. It is prophetic. Marriage is a glorious calling. And don't ever let culture, negative experiences or horror stories tell you otherwise. But just like a beautiful garden, marriage requires certain conditions to thrive. First, it needs fertile soil. Your values form the foundation for your marriage. Make sure, make sure you cultivate that determination and resolve to make it work no matter what before you enter marriage. Next, it needs water. The lifeblood of marriage is an attitude of self-denial. Serve the other party. Give generously. Love unconditionally. Forgive. Pour out your life for him or her, like Christ did for the church. Lastly, it needs sweat. Diligent, intentional, consistent effort will ensure the flowers in the garden are blooming all year round. Keep doing what you did for each other when you were dating. Marriage isn't easy, but it's God's beautiful design and thus worth fighting for. I'd like all of you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. If you have held a negative view of marriage, I want to ask you to ask God to do a work of transformation in your heart so that you can see how beautiful, sacred and glorious it is. Ask Him to renew your mind so that you begin to see it from God's perspective. Then, right now, you can make a choice and determine in your heart that if you get married, you will make it work no matter what it takes. You can choose an attitude of self-denial rather than self-gratification. Right now, you choose and ask God to help you because you can't do it in your own strength. It is a choice you should make now rather than years into your marriage when you face all sorts of problems. And the next thing that you can do is think about your parents' marriage. Now you understand better why it is blooming or why it is failing. Pray for them. Help them in little ways. Set an example for them by showing love and affection for them in practical, thoughtful ways. You can make a difference in their marriage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for creating this beautiful institution called marriage. You are calling us to point the world to Jesus through our marriages. I pray that you will help each of these young ones to hold the right values about marriage it is worth fighting for 
and not to be broken once we have stepped into it. Father, may you also help us to enter marriage with an attitude of self-denial, ready to put in effort to make the marriage blossom. I pray for our parents, O oh God, that you will work in their hearts, transforming them, moulding their values and attitudes towards their marriage. Help them to put in the effort and be determined to make it work. Use us to pray for them, Father, to support them in any way we can, and even to inspire them to love each other more. Lord, we ask you to bless our marriages, both our parents and the future marriages that those young ones will enter into, that they may bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.